We are so glad that you are here today for Big Game Sunday at Cornerstone Church. We're actually kicking off a brand new series today that we're calling All I Do Is Win. All I Do Is Win. Come on. It's very fitting. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, our Big Game Sunday, and so we're talking about All I Do Is Win. Some of you might remember that song from 2010, All I Do Is Win with Ludacris. You know, you throw your hands up and they stay there. Um, hopefully you don't remember that song because... Um, that song is not holy and does not belong in church at all. So shame on you if you remember that song. But we are so glad that you're here as we kick off this brand new series on All I Do Is Win. One of the things that's really important to think about, David, thank you so much. One of the important things to think about when we talk about winning is the fact that inherent in the name of All I Do Is Win is the fact that there is a battle that is taking place. Scripture is clear about this. Scripture talks all the time about being overcomers, about being more than conquerors, right? Scripture talks about the fact that we are in a battle every single day, that the enemy is battling for us, that the enemy wants our attention, that the enemy wants us to put our attention and our focus on him. The enemy wants us to be broken, but God wants us to be healed. The enemy wants us to be bound, but God wants us to be free. This is the battle that we are in every single day. And there is a battle that is taking place. You might not be aware of it, but there is a battle for your attention. There's a battle for your focus. There's a battle for your future. And this is the battle that we find ourselves in. And so that's why it's important for us to talk about all I do is win, because it comes from this place of the fact that if you persevere, you will find victory. That is the truth that we find in the scriptures. That is the truth that James talked about in his book in the New Testament, that if you persevere, you will win. That's what he talks about. That's a, a summary of the book of James. If you persevere, you will find victory. And so all I do is win is about this. And today we're going to be talking about a scripture from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. This is an incredibly familiar scripture for many of us. Daniel chapter 6. So famous, in fact, it's not just famous in the church. This is something that most people in the world probably know about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And of course, Daniel was an Old Testament prophet. We know about Daniel, that he was from the tribe of Judah and that he was taken into exile as a young man along with his friends and his family and he was carried into Babylon. And so he grew up in exile. He was a young man as he was coming up in exile. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, I'm going to get to my scripture in just a moment in Daniel chapter 6, but in Daniel chapter 2, the king that is over Daniel and over that region has a dream, and he wants that dream interpreted, but he doesn't tell people what the dream was. He doesn't want people just to make up what the dream was about, doesn't want them just to make up an interpretation. So he says to all the wise people that are around him, I don't want you just to interpret the dream that I tell you about. I want you to tell me what the dream was, and then I want you to interpret it for me. And of course, none of them can do it. Ain't nobody around that can do that for him. And so the king gets really angry and he says, that's it, I'm gonna wipe out all of y'all. All the wise men, I'm gonna take you all out. And this includes Daniel. And so when someone comes to kill Daniel, he says, how about I have a crack at this? How about I have a try? And Daniel is a young man at this time, right? Daniel is just coming up. He's in this three-year leadership pipeline along with him and his three friends. And this is important to note because this is essentially what the enemy does. The enemy tries to take us out early. The enemy tries to take out something early. 
Whether you have just launched a business, the enemy tries to take it out early. Whether you are new in your relationship, the enemy will try and take you out early. That's why the enemy goes after our young people, because the enemy doesn't fight fair. The enemy wants to go after your leadership early. The enemy wants to go after your promotion early. The enemy wants to go after your purity early. That's why the enemy goes after things early, because he doesn't fight fair. It's important for us to know this so that we can be praying about this. It's important that if you are getting ready to launch a business, that you are praying about it, that you are fasting about it. If you are pregnant, the enemy wants to take out your baby early. It's important if you are pregnant that you're praying and that you're fasting in a, in a healthy, physical way, that you are praying about this to ensure that the enemy cannot take out what God is birthing on the inside of you. I was reminded about this recently. We were in a meeting actually just this last week with some of our staff and we were talking about launching this new initiative over the next few months. And someone on our staff said, hey, before we launch something new, I think that we should spend some time fasting and praying about this. And I was like, that's awesome for you guys to do. We actually just got off this fast in January. So I think that I'm good right now, but I think that you should fast about this new initiative that we're getting ready to launch. But it's so important to make sure that we are in prayer and fasting when there is something young, something new that God has given for us because the enemy wants to go after the new thing. The enemy wants to go after the young thing that God has given us. And so Daniel is able to interpret the dream for this king and it not only saves him and his people, but also it brings him into great relationship. It brings him into great favor, not just with this king, but many kings, several kings after him, he is in great relationship and in great favor with. And so this is where we pick up the story in, in Daniel chapter six. He is now in relationship with the king Darius. And so it says this in verse 16, so the king gave the order, this is King Darius, who loved Daniel, by the way. The king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, someone say continually. May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I'm gonna hold up right there. Might not be changed. That was the king's intention. It was now no longer just about Daniel. It was now about his people. It was now about his God. The king did this so that his situation might not be changed. How many know that our God loves changing a situation that you think might not be changed? Right, it reminds me when they put the stone over Daniel's den, it reminds me of the stone that they put over Jesus's tomb. How many know that the enemy thought that that situation would not be changed? But God had other plans, right? That, the enemy thought that that was like the nail in the coffin, the final word that was gonna be spoken, but that situation was changed because God delights in changing the impossible situation. You might think that your situation cannot be changed. You might think that your addiction cannot be broken. Your burden cannot be lifted. Your depression cannot be removed, but God delights in changing your situation. There is no situation that is too hard for our God to change. So it says this in verse 18, then the king returned to his palace. Daniel was in the den and the king went back to the palace, even though he loved him. And he spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't sleep. It was a rough night for the king in the palace. 
And then at first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried down to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, someone say continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. And finally, verse 23 says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, there was no wound that was found anywhere on him because he had trusted in his God. I have three brothers. You may or may not know this. I have three brothers. We are all married. Two of them live in Australia. One of them lives in Italy. And a couple of years ago, a few years ago, my eldest brother and his wife received news that they were pregnant again. At the time, they had two little daughters already, and so they had just received news in a pregnancy test that they were pregnant again, and so they're excited. They're elated about this. And so my sister-in-law goes and gets this blood test, which tells you the gender of your child before you can do the anatomical test. And when they got the blood test back, it didn't just tell them that they, the gender of the child, it told them a whole bunch of more information. It told my brother and his wife that the baby that was inside her womb had something called Turner's syndrome. If you don't know, Turner's syndrome is much like Down syndrome. And only 1% of babies that have Turner's syndrome make it full term, 1%. And those babies that do make it full term, and again, that's incredibly rare, only 1% of babies that make it full term have all kinds of physical defects. They are stunted in growth, they're unable to produce children, they're infertile, they have heart defects, typically all of these types of issues. And only 1% of children make it to birth, and those that do, this is the most common experience that these babies have. And this is a test that is 98% accurate, which in science is incredibly accurate. And so when these doctors told my brother and my sister-in-law that their baby had Turner's syndrome, it's essentially like it's a, a death sentence, right? And they uh, have been told your child is unhealthy and your child is not going to live. And so they go to the doctor to receive more information about these results. And the doctor says to them, hey, I, um, I, just, I know that you guys already have two little girls and this is a diagnosis that's incredibly inconvenient, that's incredibly difficult to receive and so I just want you guys to consider your options here. And you know what that means, right? I want you to consider your options here. You've already got two kids, so why, why, why worry about this one? This one's inconvenient. Don't worry about this one. You've already got something that's good, so let's focus on this one. And so my brother and sister-in-law said to the doctor, thank you so much for your information and your feedback and your perspective, but there are no options for us. We are going to continue with the pregnancy. And so as some time went by, they started telling their close friends and family about this situation and encouraged us to pray. And so we gathered together and we started praying, we started fasting, and we started declaring the goodness of God over this situation. We started praying for a miracle. We started declaring Jesus over this situation, that there would be a miracle in the womb of my sister-in-law and that there would be breakthrough in this situation. 
And so the months go by and every scan that took place showed less and less evidence of Turner syndrome inside the womb. Scan after scan showed that instead of this baby getting worse and worse, this baby was now getting healthier and healthier, getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger, all the way until the final scan just a couple of days before the birth of this child, there was now no evidence at all of Turner's syndrome inside the womb on this baby. And this was confirmed just days later when my sister-in-law gave birth to a perfectly healthy, zero defect, zero Turner's syndrome, zero issue, zero nothing, 100% healthy, brand new baby that is our niece who is named Juliet. And this is a photo actually that we have right here of when Meredith and I were last back in Australia three years ago, able to hold this baby for the very first time, this miracle of a child that said, I will live, I will not die. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the doctor says about me. I will be an overcomer. This is our little niece, Juliet, three years ago. And remember, she wasn't meant to make it full term. She wasn't meant to be born. The doctor said she probably isn't gonna make it. She's gonna have all kinds of issues, and she doesn't have none of that. She wasn't meant to make birth. She wasn't meant to make her first birthday. She wasn't meant to make her second birthday. She wasn't meant to make her third birthday. This is the second photo that I wanna show you. This is her third birthday just two days ago, blowing out her candles. Her lungs are healthy, her heart is healthy. And then this last photo that I have is her going to preschool just last week for the very first time. Come on. If God cares about what is going on on the inside of a mother's womb, then God absolutely cares about what is going on on the inside of your life. God cares about what you're doing. God cares about your children. God cares about your parents. God cares about your health. God cares about your future. God cares about your destiny. God cares about what you do for work. God cares about whether you're happy or whether you're sad. He cares about your emotion. God smiles when he thinks about you. God is pleased with you. There is nothing that is too hard for our God. And when I think about the story of Juliet, our little niece, our miracle child, when I think about the story of Daniel, I get so excited because there is evidence that God is at work. There is evidence that there is nothing that is too hard for our God, that our God is an overcomer that God has made us to be overcomers, that there is no situation that is too difficult for our God. And what it excites me about is the belief that this can still happen, that this is not restricted to the Bible, that this is available for us today, that we can pray and that prayer changes things. And it excites me and it, wants, it makes me want to believe that this kind of thing should happen more often that this type of thing shouldn't just happen once in a lifetime, that we should be praying and believing for signs and wonders and miracles to be taking place on a daily basis, that daily the church should be growing. These are the types of things that we should be praying for. But when we think about the story of Daniel, we think so much about the lion's den. Like you can't really think about Daniel without thinking about the lion's den. It's almost like his first name is Daniel and his last name is lion's den. Like it's difficult to separate these two things, right? And thousands of years after the fact, we are still talking about Daniel in the lion's den. Like we refuse to accept that things happen to Daniel outside of the lion's den. 
And what strikes me about the story of Daniel is that there is very little evidence, very little spoken about what actually takes place inside the lion's den. If you are into statistics and data and numbers and all of that type of thing like I am then, you care about the fact that there are 153 verses that are spoken in the book of Daniel from the beginning of Daniel up until this moment in the lion's den. And then there are zero verses that talk about Daniel's experience inside the lion's den. Have you ever thought about that before? There's a whole bunch written about Daniel before the lion's den, and pretty much nothing is talked about inside the lion's den. Daniel talks about the fact that God closed the mouths of the lion, but we don't know how many lions were in there. We don't know what the den was like. We don't know what he thought about. We don't know what he was singing about. We don't know what he was praying about. We don't know nothing about any of that experience, but we know a whole ton about Daniel before the lion's den experience. And so it makes me think that we are probably putting the emphasis on the wrong area. We put our focus on Daniel inside the lion's den. We focus on the courage and the confidence that Daniel had on the inside of the lion's den, but we don't think about the courage and the confidence that Daniel had before the lion's den, the courage and the confidence that Daniel had that got him thrown onto the inside of the lion's den. And we talk about this thousands of years later. We're still talking about Daniel in the lion's den, not Daniel before the lion's den. And the real miracle, I think, for Daniel is that there were people that conspired against Daniel. There were people that tried to find something that they could pin against him, something that he was guilty of, and they couldn't find a thing. Daniel was clean. They couldn't find any way that he was breaking the law, so they created a law so that he would be found guilty. And this was the law that Daniel had to bow down and worship the king. And Daniel said, I'm not going to do that. Daniel said, I'm going to keep praying publicly three times per day to the living God. And yes, I will be guilty of this law, but you will find no other law that I'm guilty of because I am someone who is righteous, justified, upright, and this is who I am. Most of us in life want a, a lion's den experience. Maybe not the danger, maybe not the difficulty, but we want the big moment in life that shows that God is at work. We want the big breakthrough moment. We sung about it earlier. We want breakthrough. We want revival. We want restoration. We want the big Daniel in the lion's den moment in life. But most of us don't talk about the courage that is needed, the faithful that is needed, the consistency that is needed to get us onto the inside of the lion's den. Most people will never have the opportunity to see God's faithfulness inside the den because we have not proved our faithfulness before the lion's den. I'm talking about fasting and prayer. You might participate in the annual corporate fast that we have at Cornerstone Church when we call for it collectively as a church and you participate and that's great and that's awesome, but when was the last time that you fasted just because you wanted to in your own home? You might participate in communion when we do it corporately here as a church, but when was the last time that you participated in communion in your own home? You might believe that community and relationships are important, and so you are in a life group, and that's good, and that's fantastic, and that's awesome, but when was the last time that you reached out to somebody just because God dropped them on your mind and you wanted to invest in that relationship? I'm talking about consistency. I'm talking about being resilient. I'm talking about faithfulness. I'm talking about doing the little unctions that God gives us to do on a regular basis. This is what Daniel did. He was consistent day in and day out walking with Jesus Christ. 
Uh, former coach Dick DiVenzio says it this way, championships are not won on the night of the big event. The Super Bowl is not won on the night of the big event, but years before by athletes who commit themselves daily to championship principles. There's this other quote uh, that is often attributed to Aristotle that says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but it is a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. So it's about repetition and regularity and consistency. It's what we repeatedly do. I'm gonna use this, actually. We often want to throw that Super Bowl winning touchdown pass that's gonna win the game, right? We often want to shoot the basket right at the buzzer that's gonna allow us to win the game where everyone rushes the court. You know, those big moments that take place. We wanna hit the home run in the bottom of the ninth, the walk off home run where everybody goes wild and, and all the dugouts clear, all those types of things. These are the big moments that we want in life. But I would make the argument that more importantly than what takes place on the field is what takes place off the field. We want the big moments on the field, but more important than that is what takes place off the field. On the field is important, but off the field, I'm talking about like the preseason. I'm talking about the off season. I'm talking about the training. I'm talking about the way that you recover from injury. What takes place off the field is often more important than what takes place on the field. You're not gonna win a thing on the field if you're not working off the field. And I think about it like I think about church, right? If you imagine that this is our church worship experience, you wanna win on the field, you wanna, you wanna experience and encounter God on the field, but you don't do nothing off the field. You don't do anything in between the worship experience. You don't do anything when you're at home. You don't receive communion. You don't, you don't pray in your community. You don't give God an opportunity to activate your faith at your workplace. You wanna experience and encounter God. You might complain about the fact, I haven't felt God on a Sunday in years, but you're not doing anything off the field. I wanna challenge you, if you want to experience victory on the field, you better start working off the field as well. Activate your faith off the field. Get praying off the field during the week. Activate your faith. And I know that it's difficult for us because we want breakthrough in the moment. We are a generation, we are a people in this culture that believes and desires instant gratification, right? We wanna experience things right now. And so we want a promotion within six months of starting a new job, even though we have had four different jobs over the last three years. We want financial breakthrough in our lives, even though we are unwilling to commit to the budget that we have set. We want a healthy marriage, even though we do nothing to intentionally invest in it. We want a healthy body, and so we go to the gym, which is good, but then we get home and we gorge on all the food that we shouldn't be eating, right? And how often in life are our prayers hindered by our behavior. Our prayers are hindered by our behavior. I'm not saying that God is hindered. God can do whatever he wants. I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I'm talking about our prayers being hindered by God because of our behavior. We pray for breakthrough. We pray for revival to take place in our communities, but still we can't muster up the faith to tell the person that's living next door about our faith in Jesus Christ. We can't invite and bring somebody to church with us on Sundays. We pray for revival, but our prayers are hindered. Our prayers are limited by our behavior. 
because you're not willing to share this Facebook live stream on a Sunday morning, believing that somebody might be impacted because you've shared this stream. I hear about this every single month that I share this stream to ensure that my community, my network, my relationships are hearing the goodness of God because somebody is tuning in right now and needs to hear that God loves you, that God is crazy about you, that God went to the cross for you, that there is nothing that you have done that can separate you from the goodness of God. And if you share that stream, then someone in your community, someone in your relationship is gonna hear the message of the saving grace, the transformative power of the gospel. And so our prayers are impacted, they're hindered by our behavior. We pray for our nation to return back to God, but then we spend our evenings just binging on the latest show that Netflix would recommend that we watch, rather than dwelling with our creator. See, we dream for this uh, lion's den experience. We hope to see God at work. We believe that one day we'll see it, but I'm guessing that you probably will never experience God in a transformative way, that you will never see the transformative power of God at work if you're simply waiting on that lion's den experience. Daniel uh, chapter 6, verse 20, this is something that we read earlier. This is King Darius when he calls into the lion's den from the top. He says, Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? The challenge for us is to not be like Daniel inside the lion's den, but to be like Daniel before the lion's den, to not just have the faith that of, of what it's like to be inside the lion's den, but to have the faith that would get us thrown into the lion's den. I believe that God will show us continually every aspect. He will show us an, an ability to change and to transform life when we give him the platform to show his faithfulness from, when we are able to show courageously that we will pursue God in every situation consistently. And so our challenge today is to stay consistent. I know this is not a sexy message. This is not the message that you maybe wanted to hear today, but this is the message that got Daniel elevated to be in favor with the kings and kept him there. He was consistent. He was consistent. These are kings that did not believe what Daniel believed. These are kings who did all kinds of different things that Daniel would not have approved of. But Daniel was able to serve them nonetheless. This is Daniel who's in exile. This is Daniel who's in Babylon. This is Daniel who isn't living right where he wants to, believe, to live, but this is Daniel who's able to serve the kings anyway. And I think that sometimes we might feel like Daniel. We might feel like an exile in Babylon in this post-Christian nation that we find ourselves in. But Daniel was able to serve anyway. Daniel was able to serve the kings. Daniel was able to serve his supervisors. I'm sure if Daniel was scrolling on social media, he would have been upset to see all of the perversion of, of purity that we see. Daniel would have been upset to see all of the news that takes place. He would have been upset to see all the gang shooting. He would have been up to, upset to see all the domestic violence. He would have been upset to see all of these things that take place when we scroll through the news. But Daniel was consistent and resilient in his faith to ensure that he was able to continue serving the kings because he didn't get ugly in it. He didn't get hostile with the kings. 
I don't, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I don't see Daniel kicking and screaming and clawing and trying to stay outside the lion's den. That's not an image that I have in my mind. It's almost like the king says, Daniel, you've got to go to the lion's den. I'm really sorry about it. And Daniel goes, that's cool. It's no big deal. And he takes himself to the lion's den because he believes that his pursuit of God, he believes that his resilience, he believes that his perseverance with God will ensure that he is saved on the inside of the lion's den. And so Daniel is not nervous. He doesn't kick and scream. He's not fighting and avoiding persecution. And it makes me think about the same way that the disciples in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, didn't try and flee from persecution. For them, persecution was a good thing. Persecution was evidence that they were on the right path. We read about this in Acts chapter 5. There's all types of persecution that's going on in the early church. There's all types of persecution as the disciples are sharing the goodness of God and spreading the gospel and talking about the Messiah. There's all type of, like for real persecution. Like they're being flogged, they're being killed, they're being ridiculed, they're being separated from their families. This is the type of persecution that's going on with the apostles and the disciples in the early church. When we talk about persecution, it's like someone made fun of me for being a Christian or like nobody liked a photo that I uploaded on social media and this is persecution, right? But this is like what we read about in Acts chapter five, this is for real persecution that was taking place. It says this in Acts chapter five, verse 41. I wanna start closing with this. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. This is Peter and uh, a bunch of others that had just talked about. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. They had just been on trial. They had just been on trial for spreading the news of Jesus Christ and they had been found guilty and their punishment was that they were flogged publicly around everybody that they knew, around everybody that they cared about. They had just been flogged publicly and it says that they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. And verse 42 says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Persecution didn't shut down their faith. Persecution didn't cause them to draw back. Persecution didn't leave them into the belief that they were doing something wrong. It didn't make them think that they were outside the will of God. It didn't make them think that they were losing. Matter of fact, it actually let them know that they were winning. They viewed it with rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to receive punishment for the name of Jesus Christ. This was a good thing for them. Now, I'm not a martyr. I'm not, I'm not trying to get beaten. I'm not trying to get bruised. I'm not trying to get flogged. I don't want none of this type of persecution, right? But I know that the disciples viewed it as success. The disciples viewed persecution as victory. Daniel viewed his experience in the lion's den as victory. For, for Daniel, success looked like a lion's den because it was evidence of his faithfulness. Think about this, if Daniel was not faithful, if Daniel did not do the right thing, he would not have gotten thrown into the lion's den. The very fact that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den was because he was doing the right thing. It was really just the fact that he was doing the right thing that got him there. It was his courage, it was his determination, it was his faithfulness that got him into the lion's den. And I wonder why if this is the type of persecution that we read about in the Bible, I wonder why we are so quick to flee from it. 
why we are so quick to flee from persecution, why we are so quick to avoid it. Because when we read about persecution in the Bible, all it does is fan the flames of the gospel being spread. It says this in verse 42, it says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Day after day, they were being persecuted, stoned, killed, ridiculed, separated from their families, but day after day, they had such conviction that persecution was fanning the flames that was leading to the transformative power of the gospel in their communities. They were so interested in turning the world upside down that they didn't worry about persecution. Matter of fact, they viewed it with rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. It's a challenge for us not to avoid persecution. It's a challenge for us to be consistent, to be faithful, to be resilient in our faith, even when persecution is taking place. Because what I've found in life is that success looks different for different people. Winning doesn't always look like winning. I bet some people read the Bible and think Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. That doesn't look like success. For Daniel, that looked like success. For the disciples being stoned, being ridiculed, being persecuted, that looked like success for them. Success doesn't always look like success. Success doesn't look like success for you or look like for you. It might look different for different people, but success is when we are consistent. Success is when we are faithful. Success is when we have courage in the face of adversity to keep standing, even when there is persecution that is coming against us, even when we're being ridiculed, even when we're being made fun of, even when we're losing relationships because of what we believe in, the conviction that we have, this is what success looks like. Success doesn't always look like the big breakthrough moment. It doesn't always look like the lion's den. It doesn't always look like the healing of the baby on the inside of her mother's womb. It doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look like that breakthrough moment that we pray for. Sometimes it does. But often success looks like us being consistent and resilient and faithful and courageous before those big moments before that big breakthrough experience, before that big transformative moment that we are going after, this is what success looks like. What are you doing before the lion's den? You might not win the Super Bowl, you might not have that breakthrough experience, you might not get that promotion, you might not be able to start speaking in tongues today, you might not have these big moments that you're praying for, but what are you doing now? What are you doing consistently faithfully when you leave this space, when you leave this worship experience, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing off the field? How are you pursuing success off the field? How are you pursuing God in these moments? Not just on the field, not just in this moment. How are you pursuing God here by yourself, with your loved ones? in your family, in your community? What are you doing here? How are you pursuing God here? And I truly believe this with all of my conviction that as you pursue God here, that you will see breakthrough there. As you are faithful here, God will prove himself faithful here. As you pursue breakthrough and relationship and restoration and healing here, you will see evidence of it here. Don't just pursue it here. Don't limit God to here. God is just as interested in the 166 hours that exist here and not just interested in the two hours that exist here. God wants this time, but he also wants that time. Be consistent everywhere. Be faithful everywhere. Be courageous everywhere. And I believe that in the face 
of adversity, in the face of persecution, that you will find breakthrough because God has made us to be overcomers. God has shown us to be victorious. God has made us to be more than overcomers, more than conquerors. And you will find victory in his name. Amen, church? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we're thankful for what you have done in this place. We're thankful that there is victory in movement. God, it is our heart that we would continually be moving forward, that we don't stand still, that we're not waiting for a lion's den experience, that we're not waiting for evidence of you moving, but that we would be seen faithful with everything that you have put on the inside of us, that we would be good stewards of everything that you have put on the inside of us, every talent, every treasure, all the time that you have given us, that we would be seen as faithful, God, give us the courage to pursue you, that we would provide a platform for you to show the evidence of what you're able to still do. This is what we want, God, not just to pursue you in our worship experience, but to, to pursue you everywhere. We wanna see evidence of your hand at work every minute of the day, every hour of the week, God. Show yourself powerful. Show us how to be consistent in the face of adversity, in the face of persecution. We wanna see breakthrough. We wanna experience breakthrough, God, and we know that we will experience breakthrough on the field when we pursue you with faithfulness off the field. And we're thankful for it, God, that you're moving in our lives, that there is nothing that is separating us from you, that you love us deeply, that you're proud of us, that you smile when you think about us, that you're on our side. God, we're thankful that we can pursue you knowing that we have victory, knowing that there is nothing that is too hard for you, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the creator of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And it's in your name today that we've prayed. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Church, put your hands together.